0: Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend asked if I would read from my work as something they might find comforting and familiar amidst the uncertainty and anxiety we're experiencing from multiple sources in 2020. As of this opening, I've read Perishables, the first book of my five-book vampire and urban fantasy series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, a.k.a. falstaffbooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's a B-I-T dot slash Perishables link. Now I'm reading from my short stories and other works, and occasionally I'll invite on a writer friend for special episodes called Public Domain Radio. Thanks for listening. Alrighty. Welcome to... Episode 95 of Social Distancing Radio. Good gracious. Um, by the way, I do have a couple of public domain radio episodes coming up in the near future. I have a couple of authors booked, and there are a bunch that I owe recordings to you from February and March and April. It's just been that kind of winter and spring. I get like major seasonal affective disorder, so it's hard to get off my butt and do anything basically during the cold months but now it's spring and it you know i feel like doing stuff again so first of all a sip of reading wine because it is late enough in the day now oh yeah oh gosh yeah that butter box malbec that is good stuff Definitely. Mm. Yeah. I gotta have a third sip. Oh yeah. Oh that makes me happy. Okay. Goodness. <clears throat> well, let's get back into this Dracula. With chapter nineteen, Jonathan Harker's Journal. 1 October, 5 AM I went with the party to the search with an easy mind, for I think I never saw Mina so absolutely strong and well, and I am so glad that she consented to hold back and let us men do the work. Ugh. Somehow it was a dread to me that she was in this fearful business at all, but now that her work is done and that it is due to her energy and brains and foresight that the whole story is put together in such a way that every point tells, she may well feel that her part is finished. "'and that she can henceforth leave the rest to us. "'We were, I think, all a little upset by the scene with Mr. Renfield. "'When we came away from his room, we were silent till we got back to the study. "'Then Mr. Morris said to Dr. Seward, "'Say, Jack, if that man wasn't attempting a bluff, "'he is about the sanest lunatic I ever saw. "'I'm not sure, but I believe that he had some serious purpose, "'and if he had, it was pretty rough on him not to get a chance.' Lord Godalming and I were silent, but Dr. Van Helsing added, "'Friend John, you know more of lunatics than I do, and I'm glad of it, "'for I fear that if it had been me to decide, I would before this last hysterical outburst have given him free. "'But we live and learn, and in our present task we must take no chance. "'As my friend Quincy would say, all is best as they are.' "'Dr. Seward seemed to answer them both in a dreamy kind of way.' I don't know that but I don't know but that I agree with you. If that man had been an ordinary lunatic I would have taken my chance of trusting him. But he seems so mixed up with the count in an indexy kind of way that I am afraid of doing anything wrong by helping his fads. I can't forget how he prayed with almost equal fervor for a cat and then tried to tear my throat out with his teeth. Besides he called the count lord and master and he may want to get out to help him in some diabolical way. That horrid thing has the wolves and the rats and his own kind to help him, so I suppose he isn't above trying to use a respectable lunatic. He certainly did seem earnest, though. I only hope we have done what is best. These things, in conjunction with the wild work we have in hand, help to unnerve a man. The professor stepped over and, laying his hand on his shoulder, said in his grave, kindly way, "'Friend John, have no fear.' We're trying to do our duty in a very sad and terrible case. We can only do as we deem best. What else have we to hope for, except the pity of the good God? Lord God Almighty had slipped away for a few minutes, but now he returned. He held up a little silver whistle as he remarked, That old place may be full of rats, and if so, I've got an antidote on call. Having passed the wall, he took our way to the house. Uh, we took our way to the house, taking care to keep in the shadows of the trees on the lawn. When the moonlight shone out, The paragraph breaks in this book are freaking wild. It's very difficult to read it out loud. Okay, I'm going to start that paragraph over. Lord Godalming had slipped away for a few minutes, but now he returned. He held up a little silver whistle as he remarked, That old place may be full of rats, and if so, I've got an antidote on call. Having passed the wall, we took our way to the house, taking care to keep in the shadows of the trees on the lawn when the moonlight shone out. When we got to the porch, the professor opened his bag and took out a lot of things, which he laid on the step, sorting them into four little groups, evidently one for each. Then he spoke, My friends, we are going into a terrible danger, and we need arms of many kinds. Our enemy is not merely spiritual. Remember that he has the strength of twenty men, and that though our necks or our windpipes are of the common kind, and therefore breakable or crushable, his are not amenable to mere strength. A stronger man or a body of men more strong in all than him can at certain times hold him, but they cannot hurt him as we can be hurt by him. We must therefore guard ourselves from his touch. Keep this near your heart. As he spoke, he lifted a little silver crucifix and held it out to me, I being nearest to him. Put these flowers round your neck. Here he handed to me a wreath of withered garlic blossoms. For other enemies more mundane, this revolver and this knife, And for aid in all, these so small electric lamps, which you can fasten to your breast. And for all, and above all at the last, this, which we must not desecrate needless. There was a portion of sacred wafer, which he put in an envelope and handed to me. Each of the others was similarly equipped. Now, he said, friend John, where are the skeleton keys? If so that we can open the door, we need not break house by the window, as before at Miss Lucy's. Dr. Seward tried one or two skeleton keys, his mechanical dexterity as a surgeon standing him in good stead. Presently, he got one to suit. After a little play back and forward, the bolt yielded and, with a rusty clang, shot back. We pressed on the door, the rusty hinges creaked, and it slowly opened. It was startlingly like the image conveyed to me in Dr. Seward's diary of the opening of Miss Westenra's tomb. I fancy that the same idea seemed to strike the others, for with one accord they shrank back. The professor was the first to move forward and stepped into the open door. In manus tuus domine, he said, crossing himself as he passed over the threshold. We closed the door behind us, lest when we should have lit our lamps we should possibly attract attention from the road. The professor carefully tried the lock, lest we might not be able to open it from within should we be in a hurry making our exit. Then we all lit our lamps and proceeded on our search. The light from the tiny lamps fell in all sorts of odd forms as the rays crossed each other or the opacity of our bodies threw great shadows. I could not for my life get away from the feeling that there was someone else amongst us. I suppose it was the recollection so powerfully brought home to me by the grim surroundings of that terrible experience in Transylvania. I think the feeling was common to us all, for I noticed that the others kept looking over their shoulders at every sound and every new shadow, just as I felt myself doing. The whole place was thick with dust. The floor was seemingly inches deep, except where there were recent footsteps, in which on holding down my lamp I could see marks of hobnails where the dust was cracked. The walls were fluffy and heavy with dust, and in the corners were masses of spider's webs. "'whereupon the dust had gathered till they looked like old tattered rags "'as the weight had torn them partly down. "'On a table in the hall was a great bunch of keys "'with a time yellowed label on each. "'They had been used several times, "'for on the table were several similar rents in the blanket of dust, "'similar to that exposed when the professor lifted them. "'He turned to me and said, "'You know this place, Jonathan. "'You have copied maps of it, and you know it at least more than we do.' which is the way to the chapel. I had an idea of its direction, though on my former visit I had not been able to get admission to it. So I led the way, and after a few wrong turnings found myself opposite a low, arched oaken door ribbed with iron bands. This is the spot, said the professor, as he turned his lamp on a small map of the house, copied from the file of my original correspondence regarding the purchase. With a little trouble we found the key on the bunch and opened the door. We were prepared for some unpleasantness, for as we were opening the door, a faint malodorous air seemed to exhale through the gaps. But none of us ever expected such an odor as we encountered. None of the others had met the Count at all at close quarters, and when I had seen him, he was either in the fasting stage of his existence in his rooms or when he was gloated with fresh blood in a ruined building open to the air. But here the place was small and close and the long disuse had made the air stagnant and foul. There was an earthy smell, as of some dry miasma, which came through the fouler air. But as to the odor itself, how shall I describe it? It was not alone that it was composed of all the ills of mortality and with the pungent, acrid smell of blood, but it seemed as though corruption had become itself corrupt. Fah! It sickens me to think of it. Every breath exhaled by that monster seemed to have clung to the place and intensified its loathsomeness. Under ordinary circumstances, such a stench would have brought our enterprise to an end, but this was no ordinary case, and the high and terrible purpose in which we were involved gave us a strength which rose above merely physical considerations. After the involuntary shrinking consequent of the first nauseous whiff, we one and all set about our work as though that loathsome place were a garden of roses. Well, that's a great place to stop, actually. So uh, that's what I'm going to do. Thanks for listening. And thanks for hanging in there while I took a little break for a few weeks. And now uh, I'm going to take a break for like five minutes and come back and (laughs) record the next episode. So I'll talk to you whenever that gets released, which from your perspective will be a couple of days from now. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. The theme music is Bucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution License at ccmixter.org.